This is uh, Joshua Bell with the Kilt and the Cloth as we continue our discussion on the book of 1 Peter. Um, I believe we are in chapter 2. That's what I think. So, uh, just to kind of give a, a little bit of a refresher, but not much. Chapter 1 uh, is really focusing in on uh, the diaspora. We hear a different language of those that are away from God uh, and away from God's holy place. <clears throat> that um, there's a there's a, a high Christology, which is kind of important to recognize because this is a uh, this is before a discussion about the Holy Spirit. So there's a what is Jesus supposed to be for us? Um, this this beautiful conversation of what we knew and what we know now. Um, and uh, really just kind of a focus in on what does it mean to be um, a follower of Christ now that he is gone. So then we start chapter two. Uh, chapter two is uh, kind of this conversation about what, is, what does it mean now uh, to live in this place with or without a temple? How does how does one worship God uh, with or without a temple? Yeah, I'll just say it that way. So uh, it could kind of go along with today. How do we worship God with without a church? Because that's what we're competitive we during COVID. Yeah, oh, it definitely goes along with that today. Um. And having to learn how to do church all over again and try to answer the question as to what, what church really is now after all of that. So um, so I, I want to start off this because chapter 2 starts off with, in order for you to have whatever a church looks like, uh, you have to get rid of stuff. Um, there's an interesting thing that takes place in the first century where there's this conversation about death to self um, that's happening. Paul, Paul says this a lot. Um, obviously, the writer of First Peter here is saying this as well. This, this idea of what does it mean to be a, a follower of God, but yet not me, right? Like if, if, if I'm fully following Christ, then I have to put everything aside and live his lifestyle, which meant that Everyone was important. Everyone was welcome to the table. Um, and Jesus himself, with, with just a rare exception of the, the money changers inside the temple, welcomed all with love and compassion. And actually chastised people for not doing that. Um, so First Peter, again, keeping with the idea that is, this could have been this the writer is wanting you to think that it's maybe the Peter uh, is going to say, well, here's where we need to start. Okay, Robert, um, you, you have, I see it. <laughs> it's coming. No, <clears throat> the very first sentence, as you come to him, the living stone, <clears throat> can you define the living stone as to what they're going to mean or be meaning in this? Uh, yeah. I'd like to know before. Instead of after, after, after we talk about it, yeah, well, it's it's Isaiah. 
Um, Robert, are you talking about 2-1-16? Yes. In the Septuagint, 28-16. Well, go past the first, first paragraph. Yeah, four. I'm sorry. It's, it's two, it's two, four. <laughs> yeah, mine didn't have a head. Okay, that's why you don't have it. Therefore, says the Lord God, I am laying a Zion, Zion a foundation stone, a tested stone, a precious cornerstone, a sure foundation, one who trusts will not panic. That's his quote. So as he's talking about this living stone, you become the foundation and you must not panic. But let's read it and then come back because that's what he's quoting. But he says, so rid yourselves therefore of all malice and all guile, insincerity, envy, and all slander like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk so that by it you may grow into salvation it's a whole different concept if indeed you have tasted that the lord is good come to him a living stone though rejected by mortals yet chosen and precious in god's sight and li like living stones let yourselves be built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God, to Jesus Christ, for it stands in Scripture. And then he quotes Isaiah. This is, yeah. no, that's this not is, Isaiah. This is Psalm 118, 22. Psalm 118. See, I am laying in the Zionist stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. To you then who believe, he is precious, but for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the very head of the corner and a stone that makes them stumble and a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's own people, in order that you may proclaim the mighty acts of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous life. Once you were not a people, but now you are a you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. So I'm just going to pause right there. So there's this conversation between uh, what it is that we do now and what is a temple. Um, temple is like a place that we worship. It's a place that they would have worshipped. Um, notice the stone for them is extremely important. Is this, is this the word Petros? So it's it's literally talking. Rock. rock. Right. It's literally rock. It's so so and they would have they would it's have lithos. It's every time it's lithos. That's why I was wondering. Four times it was in. So this 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 idea is for them a culture of building buildings. Temple is gonna fall, right? 
there's it's really hard to say that the temple has fallen at this point, right? As people are hearing this, but even if it hasn't, they're not call they're not calling attention to the actual temple. They're talking about you as a temple, as you are building your foundation in something different than what the world gives. So you become your own temple. This is a extremely controversial conversation with the first century church. Well, and they're addressing this to the Jews. Yeah. So, well, I mean, my, my brain was just going, okay, first Peter build the church on, you know, using the foundation. This is all falling in, but this has nothing to do with that. Nope. I mean, this is, this is to the dispersed, like you said. Mm -hmm. And, and notice and that they're chosen people, so they're not letting anybody else in at this time. Right. And, and notice that the building blocks of this, for lack of a better phrase, new temple are to let yourself, don't, don't build it with malice. Don't build it with guile. Don't build it with insincerity or envy or slander. Come to it, what you should build it is what he's saying. It is like an infant. You, something pure. Um, you something that you can feel the love of God, or it's inside of you. Um, this has got to be rough on them, though, because they are. That's all. This is Jesus. I mean, mm -hmm. you know, you can say this is all Jewish, except there's Jesus. Yeah. I mean, and I'm talking fully Jewish. I mean, yes. But there's Jesus. <laughs> It'd be difficult to think that the the temple hasn't fallen with kind of the way that they're discussing things here. Yeah. And, yeah, and I'm not saying it has. I'm just I guess they're dispersed as far enough away from it that it yeah it's gone it, it, does, anyway. it doesn't exist for them. Right. But this is uh, <clears throat> as as a as a teacher, verse two and three don't make sense to me. It's, it, and I know the punctuation and all that was added later. But if you, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good, it sounds like it should go with the next line instead of the line before it. It, it just sounds weird. Well, it's the beginning of a new sentence, which goes on to four. Uh, not in this translation. Oh. <laughs> in this translation, in this translation that I've got out, which is the one you said you were using, it, you were in RSV, it says, first we start with a small letter. The NRV does that too. If you are, if, if in the grade, it's a big letter. letter. Okay, see, I, I'm thinking this is, that's, I think it's it it because it doesn't make sense to go, like newborn infants long for pure spiritual milk so that, that by it you may grow into salvation if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. doesn't yeah. sound like this, but if indeed it you have tasted that the Lord is good, it sounds rejected by mortals. It makes more sense there. Yeah, they don't care about punctuation, but, 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 I'm yeah. the, but it's not like the Hebrews that didn't have any at all. Yeah. They just had sentences. Yeah, they had some. Yeah, had some but even even then, they would like the these these texts would have had you you've been in the middle of a word, and then they would start at the next line. So I got distracted by the whole next part because I was trying to figure out what they were saying. Hey, <laughs> that was like, yeah. it doesn't make sense. Okay. Yeah, no, it's I mean it's it's important to notice, but really it's it's just the editor's prerogative how they put that together. And every I I don't, I'm all, I'm almost guaranteeing you that every version of the Bible that we have. It's going to have a lot of these differences for First Peter, um, a lot. And <laughs> um, uh, but some of the language is going to be the same. I think 
Does yours all say spiritual meals? Mine does. Mine, Mine does. does. Okay. The other it one says spiritual pure milk in the Greek. Yes. Yeah, my says pure spiritual milk. That's okay. what mine does. Uh, some of some of the other translational issues that you're going to have is this into a verse five. That's the best. Living stones, let yourselves be built. Some some of yours will say, or yourselves are being built. Um, some of yours are going to say to be a holy priesthood or to offer spiritual sacrifices. I mean, so it's it's a. I, I'm trying to remember where I was going to go with this. My my problem is. The translations change how it's functioning. Yeah, so like like uh, like Sally's saying, they're they're going from the Septuagint, but in Hebrew, the passage of scripture that they're translating here, the uh, Psalm, what is it? Well, one eight, eight, no, one eighteen twenty two. Psalm one eighteen. Uh, a lot of those words would not have been that way in Hebrew. Um, it, it's a different. If it's a it's a different idea. That they would have done. So Greek itself is much different than Hebrew, which is why it's always fascinating to me when you when you translate things from Hebrew, and especially in the New Testament when they they quote it, uh, they're translating the Greek version of it, and it's and it's not what they would have been brought up with. So it's not, and so it's not what the Hebrew would have been at all. Uh, what the audience. Boy. That he's Sorry. talking to be aware of, I guess, kind of the command that Jesus gave Peter upon. Probably not. Probably not. Yeah, no. I, this is definitely focusing in how do we live like Christ now? Okay. Um, and, it, and it's a great question. So there's there's a, the audience that would have been in this would have been like, what, what are we supposed to be doing now with this new knowledge? that this Jesus guy is our savior. Mm -hmm. And so the part where I'm going with this is, is when you look at Hebrew, this is a problem for them because let's say you're Jewish. <coughs> the idea that they were going to have just one Messiah only is, is a problem for the Jewish faith. Their, their idea was there are Mashiachs that come multiple times because in their, their understanding of god we fall out of grace for a chesed with god all the time we god gives us this moment and we're gonna mess it up and then we wander in the wilderness and at some point a mashiach will come and bring us out of that wilderness and then we repent and we start all over again it's the the, the hebrew world the, the the term is called theodicy that's literally the, the terminology that we use for the circle of what happens in the Hebrew world. So the Mashiach in their world could have been a prophet, uh, could have been a king, or, a judge, even. or a, even a judge. Um, th these people come because God presented them into their life. So this causes conflict when you have Jesus who claims not only is he the Messiah, but he's also the Son of God. Massive problem with the Jewish culture, just like you all would have if somebody came in today and says, I am the second coming of Christ. You would have the exact same skepticism, you'd have the same problems. 
So when these people are writing this New Testament, which is not new to them, by the way, to them, they would have called it the Second Testament. Like this is, here's what we did in Hebrew, now here's what we do in Greek. Just a little moment to say that. But in, 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 this, in this moment, they're telling the story. But the fascinating thing is, is that as they're writing how they interpret God in the midst of this, and they quote Hebrew scripture, the writers write it in Greek. And it works better for them. And it does work better for them because it's a different world. Mm -hmm. It becomes this second moment. And I know this is a long question, answer for your question, Karen, but in the midst of this, they're trying to make sense of what, what do they do with this new Jesus person? Because he's making them challenge everything. Whether they're Jewish or Gentile or anything else, the, the issue is still the same. If you're a Gentile, for example, the part that we don't spend a lot of time on, a Gentile in the first century would have definitely worshipped multiple gods. 100%. I guarantee you they understood multiple gods. If they didn't understand multiple gods, uh, then they were, well, they just didn't exist. It, that's just a part of their culture. That's what they grew up being. So if you're a Gentile, and now you're being told, not only should you only worship one true God, but this is his son. You, you, I, mean, you've, I mean, your mind is extremely blown. That would be easier, though, to understand for a Gentile than for the Jews to understand that God has a son. Uh, and, well, it's because it's, it's more established. But, but you're moving into other religions like other religions that they've rejected. That's right. I mean, that's all that's I'm right. saying is now he's... God becomes something more like the other gods. It's still one. Yeah. But no, this yeah. is this is a problem because Jesus then becomes a demigod. He becomes like Hercules to them. Something that they're aware of is yeah. all I'm saying. Yeah. That, that they've rejected the whole time. Now there's if he is the son of God. As long as he's a Mishiach, a prophet or whatever, that's right. fits in with the rest of them. Which makes total sense if you're gonna do this in the sense that when you say well, but Jesus is more like this. And First Peter does this very gently. Jesus is like this. And if you're going to follow this, it's not like what we've done before. Like we're not going to build a temple to Jupiter here. We're, we're, you're you're going to be the temple. And each piece of you has to be built with such a, such a way that's different than before. And then you become this vessel of God's love, which is extremely controversial to the Gentiles as well as the Jews. I was wondering if I thought when we first started reading this that you know this is going to be where you turn into the temple me personally. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But that's not the way this is initially mm -hmm. written. No. I mean this this is Jesus all the way with the cornerstone. Jesus is the cornerstone. So if but you are mm -hmm. all bricks in the building of it. Jesus has to become the foundation, which is why I was asking like, if you look at the Hebrew version, and he quotes Isaiah very, right off the bat, uh, in, the, in that moment, the foundation becomes a living stone, something that is different than what we've had before. So, <laughs> if Jesus is the cornerstone, mm -hmm. Jesus already told Peter he was going to be the rock. That the but they don't know that. On. Yeah, they don't, they don't know that. That's the problem. See, we, again, you all have the knowledge. But we're, we're transitioning even there. I mean, yeah. you know, so 
but they should have known the anger that God displayed with the idols and all that kind of stuff that they, some of the people worshipped previously. Yeah, but yes, hundred percent. It goes in that circle, doesn't it? It's in that circle. <laughs> Let's go back. We, Let's we, read. My mind's to... going in a circle. Well, 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 <laughs> we, we tend to think that. Well, you already knew the truth, so why don't you follow it? Well, because they're human. It's today, to, just like us today, yeah. we should come to worship on Sunday mornings and fill the sanctuary. Why? Because pure. we have the opportunity to. Yeah, with pure but, spiritual. Not because we have to. That's right. Yeah. But because we get to. Right. But you, you know, and this is the preacher in me gets that's frustrated <laughs> before pandemic and even post pandemic. That we have in, in the moments where we should be seeking for hope in a community of faith, we don't. And so the preacher stands in the pulpit and says, But we are to be like living stones amongst the people. And we get frustrated. It's the same idea. Uh, in America, I'm sorry. In America, you are your own stone too. You know what I mean? That's right. You got to depend on yourself because in America, you got to create your own future and all that stuff. Did you say it came from Psalms one eighteen? One eighteen. One eighteen. Twenty-two. That's oh. verse seven. Verse seven. Say it again. Psalms one eighteen. One eighteen. Okay, I'm going to one. And I've got and mine doesn't even. Oh, you're anything. thinking one eighteen through twenty two. Okay, one eighteen. Okay, verse one eighteen, chapter one eighteen, verse twenty two. Okay, so that's kind of like I live at twenty five. <laughs> we have this conversation, Nicolene, <laughs> but they're going to give us some more answers in this next section. Let me let me do two two Greek words. Well, insincerity in verse one oh, yeah. is hypocritos, which is obviously hypocrisy. And in verse 8, the Greek is just, and a stone of stumbling, and a rock, which is Petra, of falling. And falling is scandalo, scandalous. Nice. See, that's much better. That's the Petros, the Peter is Petros. Exactly. Yes, and that's the rock to fall over. And it stumble. But, yeah, that's still. I mean, it's. That's Isaiah 8, 14. That's where the stumble part was, Isaiah. Oh. I just, I'm just curious, because this is where one of those things that matters is in Hebrew. So you were, you said Isaiah 8, 14. And he will, and he will be a sanctuary. But for both houses of Israel, he will be a stone that causes men to stumble, and a rock to that makes them fall. And for the people of Jerusalem, he will be a trap and a snare. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Oh, that sounds bad back then. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's I mean, the not, not something you'd put. I'm not sure I want Jesus here. <laughs> well, this and this. So, so now we've got this. How do how do we? We're and, and they're still struggling with this. Remember, the whole purpose of First Peter is to say, "Here's Jesus. What do we do now?" Like that's remember, 
All of you in this room have all of the knowledge. You've read Matthew through Revelation, right? They don't have any of this. Um, we really do believe that when First Peter was written, it was before the Gospels. So there has not been a thought-out process, uh, process to answer God, Father, Jesus, Son, Holy Spirit. Uh, there's there's not been that thought out process. So this first Peter is, how are we going to get to there? So this next part is me feeling. Yeah, I hope it really doesn't mess this up. But here it goes. <laughs> Verse eleven. So beloved, no, we're just on nine. Oh, you're you're just on nine. Yeah. Can we read nine? Yeah. yeah. Okay, I I finished in verse ten. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Once you were not a people. Okay. <clears throat> so verse are we good? Verse eleven, beloved, I urge you as aliens and exiles to abstain from the desires of the flesh that wage war against the soul. Conduct yourselves honorably among the Gentiles, so that they, uh, though they malign you as evildoers, what does it say there? Speak against. Speak That's against. A law, law okay. That they may see your honorable deeds and glorify God. Uh, Theos. Yeah. Theon. When he comes to judge. What's that one? Episco Episco Episcopace. Is that Episcopace? They, they speak. Yeah, so it's when they speak against you and with leadership. Well, speaking against, yeah. Episcopal. That one I'm struggling with. I don't yeah. remember that one. And we didn't study it, so I don't want that one. Yeah. Um, when I read it the other day, it didn't bother me, so I didn't look at it. Well, this guy says it's it's that God on the day of visitation, that word judge is supposed to be when he comes. Oh, visitation is what the interlinear says, defines it as. Yeah. Okay. But I didn't look it up in the lexicon. So there's a little bit of a an apocryphal, not apocryphal, apocalyptic thing here. When yeah. God comes to judge, it's one making make sure when we God say that. comes to visit yeah. or visit. Right. A visit sounds a lot better than a judge. That's yeah, right. <laughs> we can serve well, coffee well, and tea. Yeah. 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 So, so this is the year it says visits. Yeah. yeah. How long are you staying? That's <laughs> so, for the Lord's sake, accept the authority of every human institution. Um, is that Ecclesia? The T side. Kappa T Tau. Oh, that's just institution. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Whether of the emperor as supreme or of governors as sent by him to punish those who do wrong and to praise those who do right. For it is God's will that by doing right, you should silence the ignorance of the foolish as servants of God, live as free people, yet do not use your freedom as a pretext for evil. Honor everyone. Love the family of believers. Fear God. Honor the emperor. Basileia. Basileia, yeah. Afro, mm -hmm. uh, senseless men, silencing which people receive silence. Ignorance. Mm -hmm. Well, it's ignorance of the foolish. Ignorance yeah, of the foolish. foolish. Uh, some... Foolish and stupid is what it was in the lexicon. In here, it's senseless. Senseless. It's off-pronoun. Off 
And that's usually that's usually used towards like. So this is important to a very strong distinction anthropologically at this point. They're not just saying Gentiles in the sense of you all are awful people, right? Like the mine says pagans. Pagans, yeah. So this is this is this is um so these pagan people that are out here, you all are now something different. So in First Peter, now now we've established there's a group of people, an institutional thing, and the language that they use here, which is why we're pointing it out, this this institution is in the name of God, ordained by God. So therefore they've got to be something different. So this is also where you start to see things like where Christians are being called by name historically. Okay, so I just want to make sure I say that. This is one of those first places that you see where Christians are being called by name. Um, some would say, that, well, this is where we have the, the terminology of the way or uh, things. This is where that happens historically. I'm just wanting to make sure I point that out for you, which is why that's important here at the end where it says, fear God and honor the Basilea or the, the emperor or the king, you know, of, of this. Is that like president? Yeah, yeah. President. yeah. Whoever's in charge. Who's ever in charge of the human <laughs> things. You, you must honor the rules of humanity, but understand that God is over all of that. Right. So um, that's a hard thing for us even today is to understand in that language that that God supersedes everything that's happening on earth. So uh, it's that it's that old cliche when we make plans, God laughs. Yeah. You know, right? Mm -hmm. This is this is that thing. Um, we haven't talked about the word Gentiles, but in the Greek, it's ethne, whatever the ending is, and that just meant others. Yeah, it's like those outside yeah. of us. Yeah, those are the people, the ones that aren't us. That aren't us. And that and that. Um, and this is why it's fascinating well, how your translations do it. Mine has Gentiles, hers has, it says pagans. Some of yours probably have pagans or Gentiles for some pagans. Thank Verse 12 is where it should be. Is that what you're talking about? Yeah, 12. Yeah. So where, where you see those places, this is editorial um, decision making. <laughs> Mine says unbelieving neighbors. Well, no. that's a that's probably that's, a better translation. I kind of like that. So, right there at the end of the 11, uh, uh, yeah, no, we got sold. Yeah. To Jews' households. And, mm -hmm. I, and I'm, I don't mean that it's derogatory. It's, but, but we I, talked about whether they believe in souls or not. Right. So, this this is again a new concept. But what is the purpose of Jesus? This is the part that they're struggling with if why, why is jesus so important why would jesus talk about something that happens later on after death why would visitation right uh god being here with us why why would that even be something that's important to them so the language of soul really starts early on after jesus death um and again i'm talking historically so what is the purpose of Jesus? Well, Jesus saves us from ourselves, A. You know, B, uh, Jesus connects us from the eternal world to the temporal world that we find ourselves in. Uh, C, classical theology would tell us that Jesus gives us access 
to um, what we now would refer to as a soul, that our bodies do not wander aimlessly in shoal, uh, that they, they just go back to where they came. Um, and our soul, the, the presence of God in us, mm -hmm. they have to figure out what to do with Ruach. That's the big deal. So what do we do with this Ruach? The Greeks would have called it Numa. What do we what do we do with this breath of God, this air of God, right? Well, we got to figure out what it, what it happens. Are you talking about like the Holy Spirit? Yeah, well, since they no, didn't no, understand in the person. Oh, okay. The soul within a person is what's happening here in verse eleven. So they're trying to figure out what do we do with this this breath of God. Shy, <laughs> it just dissipates. If you're Jewish, Jesus makes it something different. That breath that leaves us goes someplace. What is that breath? So they start using words like soul or, uh, no, that's it. <laughs> but they're using it. I mean, yeah, they're using it here. They haven't used it before. Soul is, uh, is that suke or something like that? Oh, I forgot where we were. Verse 11. Verse 11. Yeah. Suitcase. Suitcase. <laughs> where, where we get uh, psychology. Sorry, psychology. Mm -hmm. C, which is already hard because that's P.S. I lost my place again. C, Ypsilon, P, which is C-H, the word P. Ada, and it's plural. C. C. I was... I just want to see if I can... Well, no, no, no. no. <laughs> I, I tripped over something the other day. Egypt. <coughs> and that's where my... Is that's back to soul is not necessarily a concept that they're just foreign to them, very foreign to the Jewish and what they've been taught. You know, yeah. <clears throat> I mean, that's that's everything that you read in the Tanakh, for example, they wanted to be different than everyone else. But the interesting <laughs> but the interesting thing is is they end up inheriting just because that's the way we are, bits and pieces of how they believe from everyone else. Well, they were in Egypt for 400 years. Yeah, so there's no, there's no way for them to escape that. And that was my interpretation. They were just talking about it with the car going back and forth. And I was going, <laughs> okay, in our world, they got to be talking about the soul, the right. person. Right. So in this this place is like, like Ted was saying, this is where we get the words like psychology and stuff like that. So it's, but there's this, just to, Finish this idea before we get to the idea of the example of Christ's suffering. Now they've now they're trying to figure out what do we do with soul? What do we do with Ruach or Numa? And how does that work with us today? If we're following Christ's world, we have to live as servants of God. What does that mean? Well, that means that whether the emperor is supreme or the governor sent by them to punish those who do wrong and to praise those who do right, it is for God's will that by doing right, you should silence the ignorance of the foolish. There's there's your terms, right? This is, this is what you're supposed to be doing. You don't need to stand up in front of everybody and say, uh, my God is bigger than your emperor. It's, there's a murder warning here. And martyrs. We don't need martyrs. This is not that moment. This this moment right now is, is we want we want to build the foundation of God in the name of Jesus Christ. 
So talk amongst one another. Don't don't put people in risk for this. This is probably more uh, Jesus's language than any of them. Jesus really never says in any of his language that we've negotiated, you know, spit in the emperor's face. Don't do it. Don't do your daily jobs. Jesus's mission was to take care of one, one another in spite of being enslaved. Everyone is poor. Again, an extremely hard concept for us to grasp. Um, everyone was poor. No one really, some of them just were poorer than others. And some of them had the ability to have their own blankets. Right? So they still had to work twice as hard as every other human being. So it's not, there's no fun involved in this. When Paul's a tent maker, we always do this. We think, well, just because Paul was a Roman citizen and he, he just had this free reign. Well, he's a tent maker. He doesn't get to choose what kind of tents he makes, right? He, he's building it for Roman soldiers or he's building it for uh, parties or whatever that people that have money are making it do. Why, why do we know this? Well, he's also Jewish. So he's a Pharisee. So in, in, in the in the specs of the world, as far as influence, and I use this analogy a lot, he's just a little bit of a bigger flea on the back of an elephant. And that's literally it. Uh, he, he just gets to wear a cape as he builds tents. Like that's, that's, that's all he gets to, but he doesn't really mean anything to Rome uh, in the grand scheme of things. So here, First Peter is giving us kind of an understanding of, listen, this is the world you find yourself in live as servants of God in spite of that. And then you have to still serve Rome, which is different than what we had, which totally leads us into this next part. And this is still all the Torah. Sure. I mean, I mean yes, hundred percent. Or more peaceful than... Yeah, there's not an all the arms here. Mm. So slaves, speaking of which, uh, and this, huh? verse 18, and this is doulos. No, this is like Kota, and it, it says household slaves. Oh, oh. yes. Okay. Yep. It's lower down yet. Yeah. Accept the authority of the masters with all deference. Uh, no, not only those who are kind and gentle, but also those who are harsh. For it is a credit to you if, being aware of God, you endure pain while suffering unjustly. If you endure when you are beaten for doing wrong, what credit is that? But if you endure when you do right and suffer for it, you have God's approval. For to this you have been called because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you should follow in his steps. He committed no sin. And no deceit was found in his mouth. When he was abused, he did not return abuse. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but he entrusted himself to the one who judges justly. Um, he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross. Some of you might say it, it carried up our sins in his body to the tree. 
um, so that free from sins we might live for righteousness by his wounds. You have been healed, for you were going astray like sheep, but now you have returned to the shepherd and guardian of your souls. So, as you serve God, you, you do it with your whole being, even to the detriment of your physical body. And this is obviously conversations that they've had. Um, this is uh, proof, you know, that there's... So, uh, just a side note, how, how uh, anthropologically, we, we have spent a lot of time in the last 60, 70 years focusing on household codes of the first century, trying to figure out how does this work to be a slave? I mean, because we talk about it all the time, but we never really established what did that mean. And and we know we have we have uh, documentation as to as a slave, this is what they're supposed to do. Written in um, well in Greek, but it was written in the first century. We have all of this documentation found in Rome about how this was supposed to work and each of their roles. So, like on my master's thesis, I talk about the the phrase oikonomos, the, which is a, a derivative of this word, but uh, the slaves right there, verse 18. This is a household steward, somebody that would have been in charge of the household that would have made sure the meals were prepared. Um, in my master's thesis, the, the goal was to talk about how that's really what the roles of elders have turned into in the Christian church, disciples of Christ. Anyway, the, the point of this is we have documentation as to what that role was supposed to be. We don't really talk about it very much. So one of the things that's fascinating here when you look at it historically is, is that you see that there was punishment and discipline taken, but it was always physical. Um, you treated your slaves like dogs. When you hear the Gospels being written 50, 30, 30, or 30 to 50 years later, a lot of the analogies that Jesus uses in parables have dogs in the story. Um, as if he's talking about us. But again, we didn't really put a lot of credit into that until uh, fairly recently, within the last, like I said, within the last hundred years, when we really started researching these household codes. And so, like, my my person here talks about uh, slaves and wives of Christians, non-Christian households uh, are singled out, uh, in the next chapter, there's a the sense of Christian life for the rest of the community. Slaves are encouraged to be obedient, even abusive ones, mindful that Jesus himself suffered unjustly. They become the suffering of Christ and a reminder through Christ's sufferings that salvation ultimately came, even though he was beat just like they were, are. So the audience that's hearing this. So this is not a happy passage. <laughs> um but we make it that way. You, this is this is probably one of the sermons that we preach probably the most. You know, we and I don't know how to feel about it. So I'm. This is the academic part of my brain. I, you all heard me say about three or four weeks ago. I don't believe that God intends for you to suffer on earth. Like I don't believe that God brings suffering on the earth. 
humans do that for you. We bring that on his behalf. The, when we think of things like cancer and things of that nature, there is nothing that that I feel that God has this idea that God just singles out people and says, here, you should have this. Like that's that's not the God that I believe. Mm -hmm. I just can't. Um, and I don't think the people of First Peter believe that either. However, they believe that suffering is a real thing that is in the hands, and notice how they word it, in the hands of the emperor and those that rule the households. The theology is changing again. Because if you look at the Hebrew Bible, God allows them to suffer, or God even forces suffering. Here, the theology is changing. Suffering comes at the hands of others, the ones that are ruling over you, the emperors, your household masters. Uh, the it, it goes in a lot of different ways. But when he was healing the blind man in this said, he who suffered this man or his, I mean, who did evil this man or his parents, and he said, neither one. Right. Yeah. And so now the theology is changing. So by the time we get to the Gospels, the idea of suffering is this, no, no, this is not of God. This happens. Like, life, life happens. And it's not great. <laughs> there are good days, and there's a lot of bad ones. So the Romans slash and all up and down the chain is my brain says everybody remembers. No, oh, sure. I mean, if, if you have one slave, you're still going to treat them the same way that uh, that if you had ten or twenty or just the emperor. But as long as you don't raise your hand, then you don't get punished. Because the only reason they punish you, unless they're just mean, is to keep you in mind. That's right. Or I mean, an example. Mm -hmm. As long I hate to say the military, but to me, that's, I've never been in boot camp, but that's what boot camp is, is take away all your thoughts so you will follow the commands. So anyway, where I was headed at is, to me, they're saying, you know, you're not going to change this, so be happy with what you got, and there's no need to raise your hand because you have you have your reward coming. They're not there yet. Right. I'm, no, I'm, yeah. But that's, that's where they're heading. Yes. And Jesus, Jesus did not do any of these things, so you shouldn't either. Exactly. This is what it means now that we go back to the beginning of our discussion. Jesus is gone. How do we live this lifestyle? So all of chapter 2, which is probably one of the most preached passages in Scripture, you know, uh, and I'm sure it was all highlighted in your in your. Yeah, yeah. Because we studied a lot. The Greek is fascinating through here. The conversations about how we've interpreted it are really extremely fascinating. But the objective here of chapter 2 is to say, okay, now that Jesus is gone, he's, he's left, we are now left with the remnants of how are we supposed to live this now? As we pointed out, there's now a soul. Uh, there's a conversation of what do we do with our masters? and our, you know, Do we uprise and cause problems and say, our God's bigger than your, yours? Well, it'd be a very short battle, but, you know. Um, so there's this beautiful conversation that takes place about how do we live in this? Well, we live as servants of God. And we recognize that suffering happens. Um, but, as Robert just aptly put, you know, the, at the end of this, 
something good still comes from it. There's nothing that says we that being a follower of Christ makes our life perfect. Nothing that's going on here is of God. That's right. Nothing I mean, that's going up here is God. Well, didn't wouldn't God have had a hand in the Romans? I, I mean, who was not necessarily who was elected, but being overseers or being the conquerors of Israel at that time? Wouldn't God would God have had a hand? I mean, he knows everything. He certainly he still had control. And he's in control. So, I mean, in the part where, you know, we're supposed to listen to the leaders or, you know, endure kind of underneath them. Mm -hmm. Would God have had a, not a hand in them being malicious or anything, but in their exaltedness or whatever you so want to say. I'm, I'm trying to be very careful how I answer that question. Okay. In the Hebrew world, and when you read it's not, we hear the Jewish culture talk about how God has put this person in as king. Um, but we got to start from the beginning of the story. Before we had kings, and before we had all of those other things, God gave us prophets. God gave us these people to speak on behalf of God, to guide us as we were, as they would say, wandering in the wilderness. Then they come to Samuel. And they say, Samuel, we need to have a king. We don't need a king. We have God. Well, everybody else around us has a king, so we should have one. Well, let me go talk to God. It's a pretty good lesson, right? Well, we'll go talk to God. God says, you don't need a king. You got me. And, they, and Samuel's like, no, I'm not going to be able to tell him that. And part of the reason that there's a struggle here is, is that nobody wants Samuel's kids to take over for Samuel when he dies. Because <laughs> they're, so, they're not good. I mean, that's the truth of this story. They're they're really bad. A lot of humanity. Yeah, really bad humanity. I mean, it's a perfect lesson, right? And so God says, all right. Yeah, there's, I don't know if I want your kids to leave the people of Israel either. So No, he said, your, your sons are, are not. They're not worthy. Yeah, I was being nice. They're not coming anyway, so. Yeah, they're not coming. So, uh, so, I know uh, store. so God, in the midst of this, God sends Samuel out to go do all of this. The people come to him and says, we've got the perfect person. It's going to be Saul. Not, yeah, yes, Saul. Mm -hmm. And Saul's, and, and, and he's, he's beautiful, right? He's tall. He's tall. Head and shoulders of everybody. Head and shoulders of everybody else. And a warrior. And a warrior. In, in Hebrew, it literally says that one place, it says that they took the word out when he said, it says he's good looking. So in the midst of that. And so we want him to be the king. Very Jewish. Very Jewish. Um, and, and God's like, no, no, I haven't chosen him yet. And so in the midst of the story, the part that's important from the from this discussion is is that the people choose the king outside of God's understanding. God chooses David out in the wilderness. He's not one of the the, the strongest. He's not the fiercest, but he's the guy that's listening to God. He takes care of his sheep. Ding 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 ding. He's, he's not even the first son. He's not even no. the firstborn the son. Last born. Yeah, that's right. So he's at the very end of the spectrum. 
Oh, it's a good story. And if I remember right, I mean, uh, God tells Samuel to tell them, you know, if you have a king, you're going to have the consequences yes. of a king. No, this is really small. Yeah. yeah. Taxes, people <laughs> taking your sons to be in the army. Yes. They're going to take your land. Yes. You know, I mean, kings do that sort of thing. Literally like yeah. everybody else. Whether it's even a good king or, or a bad king, they, that's, that's still a consequence of a king. Yeah. <laughs> that's right. So... And he told them all that in Deuteronomy, which I hadn't realized until I did that lesson last week. Mm -hmm. So, and there was a there was a warning. So they, they already knew it. It's a part of the Torah. They already have a king. This is what's gonna this happen. is what's gonna happen. So they live for whom however long without kings. So then they get a king and everything goes to pot from that point on. <laughs> right? And everything that God said would happen happened over and over and over and over and over and over and over, and over again. And so by the time that Jesus comes, they've lost their king. They don't have a king. They, they are now servants of another ruler, again, like they were in Egypt. So in the midst of this, uh, the people that are in leadership to them, uh, it's why you start seeing languages of Jesus being the king. He, he, will, he will guide king us. King of kings. King yeah. of kings. He's bigger than all of them. And what he's going to do? is he's going to restore us to that time before Saul when God only led us. That's why it's such a big deal. Is that word a theocracy, I think, where God is leading the nation? Yes. Yeah. So what, where, where am I going with this? Well, the problem with this is, is that in our history, we have discussed, well, God puts people in power to put people in power. God never wanted that, according to the Hebrew Bible. It just happened. And sometimes people got put in power that were of God, and they did a good job. And then there were some that were not, and even so, they said they were God. So this is why I'm being very careful how I say that, because Jesus himself would have remembered that time before Saul. Remember, they all go back to Torah, no matter what anybody tells you. They all go back to Torah, and before kings came god was in charge so it's a hard thing for us in the 21st century to look at it and go well god wouldn't have let that person be in power if it was that way well yeah god did here's your proof here's saul and look at all the stupid things he did from that point on look at david <laughs> and the only reason we got david was because well god said okay yeah you can have a king but just remember when you have this it's going to happen Came with warning labels. And once again, the Israelites turned their back upon them. Yeah, yes. That's the that's yeah. yeah. almost every story. And so, uh, yeah, they get conquered by other people. Did God did, did, did God have a hand in the Romans conquering them? Uh, well, maybe because once again, the people of Israel turned their back upon God. And so, uh, I think I yeah. think it says He chose. Mm -hmm. Nebuchadnezzar to take from over from them. Oh, yeah. So that's another thing that happens is in the Hebrew Bible, that's a that's a whole great example that God chooses enemies to be in charge. I'm not sure you know, I'm gonna give you the bad guy. And there's a thing, I think the very end of Judges maybe, and it said there was no judge, and everyone did as he as he saw fit. I mean, we know how that works out. Yeah. <laughs> Literally how it worked out. So I, I think it's fascinating because in, in our culture, especially within the last 150 years, there's a conversation about our faith with leadership. Um, 
it's hard to back it biblically based on this, right? In the midst of our discussion, I know that people have a, a really strong faith uh, um, focus that God only puts people in power that God wants. Um, but I, I would argue that that can be tested very easily. Humans are, are not free will. I'm going to say free will. Yeah. Right. So I, I, I'm very, so I, as I was trying to say, Kim, I'm trying to be very careful how I answer that question because as a minister uh, and I'm teaching a Bible study, there's a part of my brain that says, I can't, I can't say biblically that happens, but that God does allow humans to mess up on their own and whoever's in leadership. So they can come back. So they can come back. And so humans put people in power. God's already in power. Mm-hmm. And so that's that's where that I want that to be said on the mm-hmm. on the recording. It's almost like I feel like I say in my head sometimes when well, my king has told me to respect you, you know, right. <laughs> you, a leader, whoever you are, insert yeah. name here. My king has told me to respect you, so I'm going to respect you. I'm going to do First Peter. I'm going to do First Peter. I'm going to live two. that life of obedience. Yeah, that means we're slaves. Yeah, and and we will be. That's the whole point. We're all slaves. We are all slaves, which, again, in the current climate we find ourselves in, the word that that word means a whole different thing. But in, in, in the part that's interesting here is, is that we really are, um, I would say, prisoners of our own devices. Sounds like a song. It does sound like a song. So it's it's a it's amazing. It's a hard conversation, especially in a. In the current climate we find ourselves in the 21st century, there's a, there's a, it, it, it's, it's a, you hear a global cry as to God, why is this happening to us? God, you know, uh, which is kind of awesome. Um, they go get all their answers everywhere except for church, not that I'm bitter, but, um, you know, Google is, is the greatest invention and worst invention at the same time. I, mean, I can Google whatever I want to know about God, except for, how do I build relationship with God? How do I have community with God? Because um, that's what Jesus really tries to establish. Live here as servants of God. You can't do that by yourself. That's the part that's important. And I'm going to preach and I need to stop. So we're going to stop there. Uh, we will begin uh, with chapter three next week. And uh, I'm going to blow your minds again. Great. And so uh, 